This podcast is brought to you by Benjamin, a workflow automation engine that allows advisors to focus on their clients rather than data management. Learn more at getbenjamin.com. Today on Bridging the Gap, all the way from sunny St. Petersburg, Florida, is Christopher Music. What an amazing last name. Christopher is a wealth coach and a thought leader in the financial industry. This conversation was just another one of those amazing conversations where we opened so many doors on some awesome topics. We dove into becoming more income focused versus focusing on your client's investments. We talked about some new ways to add value to your clients and some helpful tips to building your brand. Christopher and I also spoke about the importance of the idea for advisors to move from being investment advisors and helping people make money on their investments to helping people make money on their income. Think about that. It was an awesome conversation. It made me rethink a lot of things as well. And I can't wait for you to hear from Christopher Music. You won't want to miss this episode. So let's turn it over to me and Christopher Music. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Christopher Music, welcome to Bridging the Gap. Thanks so much for taking time to join us. How are you, my friend? How's everything down in St. Petersburg, Florida? Hot. <laughs> We've, right. we've had summertime here, but thanks so much, Matt, for having me on on your show. I, I look forward to sharing with you and seeing how we can help your viewers get more out of their practices. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about this podcast. As we were talking about earlier, you know, Shannon, who's behind the scenes and helps us with all these podcasts, she's she's even hopping on on her day off to be able to hear the podcast because she's so inspired by your story. And I am as well, right? We try to find inspiring people on this podcast. And you know, you've been a part of this industry for so long. You have such experience with financial advisors as a thought leader, a wealth coach, and everything of that nature. I am always so intrigued by individuals who are in this industry because I find this industry to be one I love, right? But it's not an industry for everybody. And I was fortunate to come into the industry and see my dad build an RIA, and I just knew this industry. But I'm intrigued by everybody's story. Like, how did you get into wealth management, financial advising? Like, and I always joke, everybody listens to podcasts, like, Matt, you say this every time with every guest, but like, did you wake up when you were 15, 16 and be like, you know what? I want to go be a wealth coach and a thought leader in financial advisory industry. I would, I just, what's the story of how you got to where you are today? When I was 15, actually, in high school, one of my, my best friends, his mother was the guidance counselor at my high school. And uh, my dad's a minister. And so I grew up in the church and my dad counseled a lot of people, a lot of couples. You know, one of the main problems they had was dealing with money. And so I was a, I was a trumpet player and I was really good. And it was expected with a last name like music that I was going to go to music school. And uh, everybody in town thought that was going to happen. And uh, I sat down with her one day and she says, so what school are you going to? And, you know, these conservatories and so on. I'm, she says, uh, what school for music? I said, I'm not going to school for music. I'm going to school for business. She says, why on earth would you do that? And I said, well, based on my experience, no matter what you do for a living, whether you're a teacher or a minister or a pro football player or a doctor, if you don't understand money, you're going to have a hard time. And she just sat back and looked at me and she said, well, I can't argue with that. So, so I went to school and I, I ended up getting an MBA in, in finance and economics as a, as a focus. But after uh, undergraduate and before graduate school, <clears throat> I was introduced to the Charles J. Givens organization. I don't know if you remember back in the day, down here in the Orlando area, Chuck would go around the country and sell his uh, $500 uh, financial library 
back before the internet. And I, I grabbed onto that one day and digested all the material. I'm like, ah, you know what? I like this stuff. And when I was in graduate school, you know, I was holding court. Every time, everywhere I went, I knew all the answers to all, all the questions that they had about finances. And I decided, yeah, I'm going to go out and start a financial planning uh, company. So right after uh, right after I graduated, I picked up, went to Columbus, Ohio, established there, and then went to St. Louis, Missouri, spent two months under the guidance of a financial advisor there who was part of the Givens organization, came back to Columbus, put my shingle out and said, here I am. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. I love that. Two things that, that, that connect us, right? Always when you're building relationships, it's all about trying to find those common connections. The first, I can't believe I didn't even start out with music and talk about why you're not a musician. I mean, that, that just seems like such low-hanging fruit. And maybe I just bypassed it because I was like, he probably always talks about this with everybody yeah. he talks to. But sure. the trumpet, being a trumpet player, my son, who's three years old, he loves the trumpet. He loves playing the trumpet. We listen to the trumpet songs. He's always like, is that the trumpet playing? So I may have him reach out and get a lesson from you if you still have the skills, which I, I assume you do, right? It's like riding a bike. You I can do, help yeah. Of the course. Trumpet. Yeah. yeah, of course. The, uh, the second thing is, is Columbus, Ohio. So where in Columbus, Ohio? My mom's from Bexley. So we, you know, we have that in common. I spent a good amount of time up in Columbus back growing up. So you, did you just move down to St. Pete from Columbus or have you been gone from there for a while? Well, I moved to St. Pete about 20 years ago, but I grew up in Ohio um, okay. in the farmland. And then I went to Columbus after, after school. I lived in Clintonville, lived in uh, Beachwold area, had a nice little office there on High Street before I sold that practice and moved down here. Love that. Well, let's get into kind of some of your experiences, right? So you've been in this industry for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you saw a need, you saw a passion, and now you're referred to as the financial prosperity coach. All right. So I want to talk about how did the financial prosperity coach come about and tell us about what is the financial prosperity coach? Because I love that name. I love that kind of that slogan there. Can you tell us a little bit about where that came from and how you got into that kind of title? Uh, well, let, let me tell you a little bit about how, yeah, how it evolved in my permutations of careers. I uh, started in 1992. My dad being a minister, I used that warm market and figured out how to leverage that. And of course, my first practice was called the Clergy Benefits Group. And I would teach ministers about their pensions and about taxes. And and if you were a minister in Ohio, you, you knew who I was. I had seminars all the time and built a nice little practice and ended up selling that to an associate in 02 and then moved to Florida. I spent, a, I don't know, three or four years just studying, researching, and doing a lot of business consulting, studying you know, logic and scientific method. And I've always been an inquisitive type. So I always, I study history and ancient civilizations and religions and things that make the world interesting. And I decided that my true purpose, even the second time around, was to coach people on living better financial lives. Again, still being one of the major issues that we all have. So I uh, started developing a financial planning system. Now, this is not a sales system as is very popular in our industry, but a financial planning system based on standard results for our clients. Now, being a business consultant, I know systems, I know marketing, I know PR, I know all these different functions and how to assist a, a business owner and in scaling and doing all those things. But my interest was always in the personal financial condition because that's why a person has a business is they want to be more affluent to be able to 
accomplish goals and dreams. So I look around and I see 20 different financial plans with 20 different results. Mm -hmm. Well, if you take the CFP, for example, you have six standards, the, you know, the standards of the CFP. You have to meet the client, establish a relationship, fiduciary, gather the data, come up with recommendations, make the recommendations, implement them, monitor them. Well, okay. Well, that's a great consultative sales process, but that is by no means a scientific process. Because when you add up the possible variables that are in that six-step process, you have more possible outcomes than you do people on earth. So that's not a science. That is a, that is a, a way, uh, if you want to be brutal about it, is a way of no accountability. So what I, I, what I did is I reverse engineered the whole process. And I said, what is the perfect financial experience a household in America would have with you know, planning and insurance and investments and asset protection and taxes and debt and, and estate planning and everything that that family would interface with regarding their overall financial experience. And when you define an end result, then you can build a process to attain it each and every time, like a procedure. And then you can objectively measure whether you attained it or not. Now, that is evidently a little revolutionary in our industry because we come from a sales background, not a results background, a scientific background. And this guy, by way of, you know, even ticket accountants, you get 20 different tax returns, you get 20 completely different results. Well, why can't they be standardized? And the truth is it, we, it can be. So I found a particular ability to take logic and scientific method and all these different ways of thinking and constructing a process that works for everyone. Now, again, there's there's a lot of upper level stuff that's individualized, but everybody has a basic need to understand taxes. If you're a U.S. citizen, you know, for example, everyone needs to understand the basics of investing or borrowing. So all that stuff's the same for everyone. So after developing this whole this whole system, which is called econologics, I ended up getting a whole bunch of intellectual property that I ended up selling to my ex partners a couple of years ago. But the point is, it attained financial prosperity for everyone that we worked with, which was primarily healthcare professionals who had their own practices. So that's why I became the financial prosperity coach, because I had a, a unique system that enabled people to attain predictable, measurable results and ability to, to always find a correction if something wasn't done correctly, because there's a standard. So, that, so that's what I built and it worked out very well. So much in that that I want to break down. And I have, I've, I've jotted down some questions. Now, the first sure. question I have, though, just to lay the groundwork, that you said that to help people reach financial prosperity. So yeah. what is the definition of financial prosperity in, in your life? What is, in, because it could be def defined differently for everybody, but what is the definition of financial prosperity in Christopher Music's mind? What a great question, because that is one of those factors that is so individualized. And I'll tell you for me what it was. Okay. Now, and just let me back up real quick. I, I did all of this system and everything that I, I created for the public because I wanted a plan that worked for me. I have made every mistake you can make in, in managing money. 
but I needed something that was more predictable. So I had to go create the structure. And why? Because I wanted to be able to have a lifestyle where I was able to financially afford the ability for me to manifest my purpose and to live a life that was meaningful and entertaining. So that's what financial prosperity means to me. Right now, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it is. My lifestyle is a little unique. I'm, I'm single. I'm, I was in a relationship for 26 years. We divorced and she was one of my business partners. So we ended up you know, selling the whole thing to her and another partner. And I basically took off in a motor coach after I liquidated everything, literally wandered the desert for a couple of years. And now I, I'm a nomad. I mean, I travel all over the world. I live in Airbnbs. I have a consulting practice that is online. And I'm living the result of, of my financial plan, even with the mistakes I made. So I achieved my financial prosperity, even though it's, there's always, you always have to keep working the system, right? Because inflation now, changes of you know, what's happening in the world, you always have to keep creating value and create financial resources and things like that. But, but it, by and large, I was able to attain what I defined for me. Well, everyone has their own definition. And, you know, when you have a lifestyle or you have a, something that you want to do, you, you can always bring it back and interpolate what the, or sorry, extrapolate what the cost is going to be. And you can actually put it in numbers. You know, it's like Stephen Covey says, you know, beginning with the end in mind. That's yeah. all we're doing here is we're just working it backwards and saying, hey, we need X dollars to be able to attain this, this lifestyle that we have envisioned for ourselves. So let's walk through let's walk through that kind of the scientific formula because what what's intriguing to me because I, I also want to come back to financial prosperity and the definition of it but I, I want to answer this question before I do is you mentioned that it's it's we can get to standardized results right we, mm-hmm. we can we can standardize everything and I find that intriguing and I'm int- I want to understand more of how that's possible because I'm sitting here as a financial advisor. And I'm like, well, you know, everybody has such different inputs and there's like an exponential amount of inputs. Now, the inputs themselves may be the same, but the there are there could be one person may only have three inputs and another person may have 60 inputs based on their lifestyle, their family, their kids. God forbid all that. Right. Whatever it may be. God forbid in something like a, a challenge with a kid or a challenge with a parent or whatever it may be. How do you decipher and split away all of that noise, as some people say, to get to a standardized methodology that works no matter who you are, where your background is, and what your situation may be. I mean, as far as metrics or as far well, as... Well, I mean, the methodology, right? If methodology, you have it, Because okay. you mentioned it, how you standardized it when, and there's basically unlimited potential inputs, right? So if you think about like right. the methodology to get there, are you basically backing in and saying that hey, you know, you need, based on your lifestyle, this is what you're going to need and then this is how much you need to save and this is how you go about doing it and this is the strategy to get there or is it even more inputs that are standardized from the scientific approach that you kind of thought through and brought into with Econologics? Okay, so, so okay, first of all, we have to take like the whole financial world that, that a, a family experiences and break it down into sections. So I broke it down in nine sections. I'm actually, you know, I'm actually revamping this whole process because I've learned a lot since then. You know, this is like a new, a new version 2.0, as it were. But you know, we had the, the planning, the planning section. Okay. 
there's certain knowledge, specialized knowledge you have to have about planning, just planning and figuring out what the end result is. And you have to figure out, this is what is missing, I think, a lot in our our results is we have to get a concept of what it would be if it were perfect. Like if you go to the gym, you're going to attain the ideal body if you have a concept of what the ideal body is. And then you're going to build procedures, workout procedures, nutritional procedures that have been time tested by somebody else, you know, in alignment with your blood type and your structure and your lifestyle. And then you're going to work that plan in a step-by-step process And then you're going to measure results. You're going to continue to improve, continue to improve. And then finally, you're going to have that body that you want because you've conceived it first. Okay, well, what is the perfect financial plan? The perfect financial plan is one that attains the optimum condition in your investment life, your asset protection with risk management, with your estate plan, with your debt management, your your liabilities. Your taxes, which is a huge area, <clears throat> how you make income. I mean, financial planning is about making income, managing expenses, and re- managing risk. That is the three value equation of financial planning as a subject. So, financial advisors really did need to be masters at teaching their clients how to make money. The way it has come down is that we, well, you make some money and we have some salary. So here's how you can save some taxes and, you know, and make, save a little bit here and save a little bit there. And then we're going to put insurance insurance and maybe a limited liability company. And, and that's the advice. Well, it's way more than that. It's like, okay, you're making a hundred thousand. Now you want to make a million. All right. Well, here's how you make a million a year. And this is to be part of, of the financial advisors training and coaching for that client. Because if you're making a million a year, now, now you can actually invest and protect and be able to attain this ideal, perfect result of that financial prosperity for that client as defined by them. So there has to be knowledge. And as I created a three-day workshop for my doctors. We, it was a retreat. And I said, look, this is the system. And I, I laid out the entire system for them. We spent two days on, on f- personal financial planning And we spent an entire day on how to build a business to sell for maximum value. And we looked at the six, looked at 60 value drivers that make that dentist practice the the prettiest girl at the ball when they're, when they want to liquidate and, and convert that money into a lifetime income stream. So all of these things, there's a way to do all this stuff. And I mean, you can find on YouTube for God's sake, it's just putting it down in a codified way and a step-by-step way. That, it, that gets them to attain that objective. Does that make it's sense? A hundred percent. And I think that it's so, it's an interesting point because what you're going to, and what I, I believe is, is actually so accurate is this idea that advisors need to move from being investment advisors where they're helping people make money on their investments to helping people make money on their income which is a different mentality, right? It's thinking more business-like of helping them become more income-focused in terms of growing their income to meet their prosperity needs, which is this that one vertical to make more money in their job as opposed to just focusing solely on, I'm only going to manage your investments, which is a different way of thinking and training to help people reach prosperity because you're only going to be as good as the income that they're producing and they're able to save to help them meet their goals, which is a number at the end of the day that we can all calculate at that point. 
you're 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 exactly on it. So robo advisors. Let's just take that, okay? You know, Vanguard RIA, Fidelity RIA. These big players now have made it have com- completely commoditized in my opinion. Commoditized money management or portfolio management out of the RIA space. Now, it just is what it is what I experience, okay? And I'll give you an example. So a dentist, we take on a dentist who's just getting started in practice, okay? He goes to a, an RIA. They say, we need a half a million dollars to invest with us. Okay, well, he doesn't have any. So I'm going to get him because I have no minimum. I don't care if the guy's broke. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to hook him up with a business coach who's going to help him boom his business because he's never, he's never trained about business in school. So he's going to have to learn from somewhere. So I'm going to hook up with my, with my people who have 20-year track records and making multi-million dollar businesses. And then we're going to help him start to get into the habit of taking his money as he earns it and putting it into his, you know, whatever part of the plan, whether it's, you know, life insurance, whether it's investment program, real estate, you know, whatever it is, we, we, we huge in, in investing back into his business because that is his main income source. So where does money management come into that? Well, either I can be an RIA and have the SEC compliance of all that, or I can say, hey, go to Vanguard. And you're going to get a, about what 70% of RIAs are going to produce in long-term return anyway. So when you look at that, it's like, you know, I think we can provide a tremendous amount of value way above and beyond portfolio management. If we just learn how to coach this professional on how to leverage their ability, their network, their intelligence, their innovation, their entrepreneurialism into side hustles, into uh, well, like what you've done, you know, you're in the RIA space and you get this idea about Benjamin, you go, bam, let's just do that. See, that's just taking mm-hmm. your ability and your, your passion and just creating that side hustle, which is going to be very successful. Why not to- coach everybody on that? It's such an, I mean, it's such a reframing, right? And in a time in the industry when everybody's trying to find additional value to provide, right? Because investment management has been commoditized. That's a big theme in the industry, as you well know, is that, yeah. We've got to figure out more value and everybody goes to more services or different investment strategies or whatever it may be. But in reality, what it is, is that you, it's a re, here is the new way to help add value to your clients, which is being like a, it's financial literacy, business literacy on steroids based on helping them grow their income and grow their business acumen so that they can save more and meet their goals quicker, which makes you look more valuable, which goes, then it it all feeds into it. And it's just a reframing of what your value is. And and everybody's thinking all these services where this is a different service that's not part of the wealth management ecosystem. It's outside the box, which I, I freaking love. I love it. We had eight different income streams in my company. And every one of those income streams provided multiple times the value of the cost to the client. And they all worked in synergistic way with each other. That's why I didn't care where the client started. If they needed debt management, okay, we charge them a financial planning fee and then we get them out of debt. Next thing you know, they have more money and then they can take advantage of the life insurance that we're offering or the money management that we're offering. You know, we're charging monthly subscription fees for planning. Tax planning. You want to be an RIA and add value to a client? Give them a give them a, a, a basic tax plan, a basic one. You can save them five or ten thousand or dollars or more, twenty thousand dollars a year or more. You know, you charge them what five thousand bucks for it, 
and they, they get a 400, 500% return, 400% return immediately. Mm. All be, and, mm. and you can find this stuff on, on YouTube, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, there's all, there's value has to be outside the box. You're as an RIA or as a, as a wealth manager, you are the, the, usually the person who is second in trust in the eyes of the client. Who's the first? The accountant. accountant. It's the accountant. You ever, you ever, okay, guys, you're like, I, I want you to do this life insurance contract, this maximum funded deal. Yeah, yeah. Let me talk to my accountant who knows nothing about insurance <laughs> at all, but we're going to, we trust the accountant because he, you know, he's a buffer between us, us and the big bad IRS. So we, we trust the accountant. Okay. Well, we have to work with the accountants, right? Because they have to give the nod on the advice and this, the things that we want the client to do that's in their own best interest. So one way you can talk the same language as the, as the accountant is tax planning. And you can talk to them also in helping that client make more revenue. Yeah. Because more revenue means more tax returns and you know how it is. Well, I mean, and, and I just think about it, right? Advisors know how, I mean, they tend to know how to analyze numbers. They know how to analyze businesses. And it's just using that information and that knowledge to help your clients become wealthier via their income. I, I just, I think that that's something that is just not utilized, which I, I think is just really eye-opening and, and, and amazing. And, and, you know, it goes also to something that you've been passionate about. And like, I mean, you built this brand around the financial prosperity coach, which building a brand is something that is so necessary, right? You need a brand and a system that's like a systematic proven process that you can focus on. And you talk a lot about focusing on the results as opposed to the product, which is kind of what we're alluding to. But talking about building a brand, how how should people think about building a brand, right? And and what are some of those keys to a successful brand within wealth management, right? Because you can get lost in the shuffle in this industry really quickly. Uh, and to stand out, you need to do something special like what y'all have done and you've done. So what are some things that people need to think about to build a great brand to stand out within this business? I think if you look at any successful product or brand, you'll realize that the person who came up with the answer had their own problem to solve. They looked around at what existed as a solution. That wasn't good enough. So they dug down into their expertise. They went out and researched and found and discovered and tested. And and then they came up with a a better solution that was tested and got better results. I mean, it could be a pillow. It could be a a rocking chair. I mean, you you know these stories. Just about anywhere you go, there's a story behind the product that you're looking at. Same thing with, with financial advisors. I think the first thing you have to figure out elementarily is who your public is. Who are you serving? Like in my first company, I, I served ministers. Now, who would think you'd, you could build a financial planning company around ministers? Well, you can't. If that's all you do and you do it better than anybody else. You see what I mean? And I made that a complete focus of my business. I called it, you know, I, I branded the, the company name. We built a beautiful little boutique practice. I had a sellable value that I sold to an associate. It was a you know, seven-figure exit. And, you know, the marketing is so easy when you focus only on the optimal, perfect solution for that public, that group of people. 
And that's why you find some of the more successful wealth managers in our business, they only work with dentists. You know, like Mercer, for example, they only work with dentists, at least they used to. You have other firms that only work with veterinarians or only work with C-level executives or you know, CEOs or whatever, right? But if you find that public, then you have to put yourself in that public's shoes. And let's say, for example, that I'm a dentist. This is pretty simple. I'm a dentist. So I have to assume that I'm a dentist. Now, what would be the perfect suite of services that would be a one-stop shop, don't have to think, that would bring me along to the ideal experience financially in my career. And then you start looking around going, well, that's a lot. Okay, well, then you build the framework, you build the brand, and then you do what you do best and outsource the rest. So you become a finder of the best technology for whatever it is, asset protection, you find the top asset protection company, you find the, one of the top estate planning groups, and you start to have those promotional partners with you working together to be able to give the best experience to that dentist. Well, that's how you build a brand because then you can get results. I mean, one person who's done a wonderful job, Garrett Gunderson with Wealth Factory. I mean, he's a brilliant marketer. And he works with professional practices and he's got a whole machine going on because he is the guy who created the brand and he just goes out there and find the experts in all the different areas that he wants the the, the client to use. And it all works seamlessly together for the best benefit of the client. You can't go wrong with that kind of approach. There's a, there's a huge trend in conversation in our industry right now of niche being in a niche, which mm-hmm. is about what is exactly what you're saying, right? The yeah. value, Michael Kitsis has done a lot of studies on this of the value of your firm is higher when you are focused on a niche and it allows for you to get in there and know them as opposed to generalities, which has been kind of the RA world for a while. Just I'm going to serve everybody. I'm going to serve everybody over 750,000, whether they're a doctor or a vet or a professional, it doesn't matter. But where we're starting to see value is in that niche. Now, my question, though, and, and because another question I always ask, like marketers, and I'm interested to know your perspective on this of does it matter or does it not, is when you talk about building a brand, there's two brands you could build. You can build the brand of a company or you can yep. brand, build the brand of a person. And my view, and right or wrong, and like I said, I want your opinion on this, is that I think it's a matter within this industry that's a brand of a person as opposed to a brand of a company because people relate to people as opposed to people relate to companies. But what you're alluding to and I'm hearing is that it's about building this company where it has all these services. And is the brand in your mind the company or is it better to focus on building the brand of yourself that's focused on the niche that has the resources behind you? What is the leading focus of the brand in your mind as you're in a successful brand building exercise? The answer is both. The answer is both. Look at Richard Branson. Richard Branson is the founder of Virgin and Virgin is its own brand. And then Richard Branson is his own brand. You know, with all the social media and all the you know mm-hmm. antics he does as the cool billionaire. You look at uh, Kevin Harrington is another one. I just heard him speak not too long ago. And he's like, he's got his brand and his business. And he's like, he, he met, he met with Richard on his island and Richard said, you have, you have no personal brand, dude. So he, all of a sudden he starts popping out these books, you know, about him and his expertise as a person. And I think that the two actually go hand in hand because like, like, for example, I was Christopher Music. I was a speaker, writer, doing all the things I do. I, but I'm the founder of Econologics. 
So I, mm-hmm. I'm the brain trust behind the entire system that you're going to be using. But you know, I'm not going to sit down with you and implement that system. I have people that I've trained to do all that for me. I'm just the one that's going to share that idea with you so you, so you can get the results that you're looking for. So any right. wealth manager needs to do that. Now, one caveat I did, I did want to make about how important it is to in the branding on the previous question. This is an example. So one of the one of the publics that we worked with a lot was were veterinarians, and because a lot of promotional partners we developed uh, over the years, business coaches, uh, marketing people, all had veterinary clients, and we just started to to partner with them to leverage their their database to get clients. Well, when you're a financial planning or wealth management company, and a veterinarian is looking at you, and they're looking at Edward Jones, they're looking at Ameriprise Advisors. They're looking at Merrill Lynch as somebody to be a financial advisor. Okay, they always chose us. Now, why is that? Because I made my advisors read books on practice management in veterinary medicine. They had to understand the metrics of veterinarian uses to manage his income and profitability. So we would sit down and we would look at the top five metrics of their practice and say, okay, so what's your show rate for appointments? They're like, you're a financial advisor? I'm like, yeah, because your show rate for appointments has everything to do with your, with your gross income and profitability of your practice. Okay? How much are you spending on marketing in your practice? What do you mean? Well, you got to be spending at least 10, 10 15%. Or you're not going to have anybody come in the door. Things like that. And because we knew the interworkings of their profession, their practice, we're the advisor of choice because we were able to dig deep enough into that niche this is the niche question, but deep, deep enough into that niche, we could provide value that no other person in our space could provide. And that's why I'm a huge proponent of that. You can own and dominate an area just by doing that. I mean, that, yeah, of course, that's the power of niche. As you're talking, I just wrote mm-hmm. down power of niche, right? That is oh, the yeah. power of it is that you can hone in so deeply on that. Whereas I think about like a generalist wealth manager. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a generalist wealth manager. A lot of my clients, they do all different professions, but I can't mm-hmm. understand and know all the intricacies of being in sales at IBM and then also being a, a senior coder developer at Microsoft. Like I can't understand the niches of all the differences of what makes you valuable to be able to provide that insight and that information which means that that's what you need to go deep on. And you know, back to the branding question, and then I want to kind of let you get back to your, to your life and your day-to-day, is you're talking about Richard Branson, which I agree with. I think that that's so great. And as you're talking about yourself and the other individual, I think you, you're right. You have to have both. But that personal brand needs to lead, and you have to have that public brand or that business brand to help to capture, right? Richard Branson is good. Everybody knows Richard Branson, and knows that Virgin is associated with Richard Branson. Mm-hmm. Um, and But Richard Branson started that. And it always leads with the person, which I think is something to be said, that if you're going to go after a niche, create a personal brand within that niche's community, and then have the resources like you're alluding to behind you with your company to then allow you to excel and, and capture that business from your personal brand. But it it has to start with a personal brand. If you just go with your business like that other individual it's harder because they don't know who to associate that business with. Do they like the person? Do they not like the person? They want to know a person that they can like, and then they'll like the brand as well. Yeah. And one more factor, Matt, on why to build both is because if you build a brand that's separate from you, well, you then end up just as the founder and you are then are building a business 
that has maximum value to somebody else. And you always got to think in terms of, I'm going to sell this, this machine that I built to somebody else in the future, and they want to be able to use it as a standalone rather than trying to take a personal brand and have a business built on that. It's a lot more difficult to transfer the trust of the clients. You have right. to try to do it on your own versus its own brand. It's hard to sell. It's hard to sell yourself, right? You're, you can't sell yeah. yourself, and then you're, that means then you're still working, right? That doesn't get you to your financial prosperity of maybe freedom, which you know gets back to financial prosperity. And I'm interested to know because you've done this with so many people. Financial prosperity, although the words may be different, it seems to just boil down. And this is a great way to end it. It seems to boil down that people's financial prosperity is equivalent to freedom and happiness. Those are the two things. That's what everybody's working towards. Freedom and happiness is different for everybody. But that's like the, if you want to standardize it, that's the standard entry that they they want to get to. I think it's very well said. All right, Christopher Music, I, before I let you go, I want to ask you two questions because, I mean, you are a constant learner, right? You, you sold your business, went and read and studied and learned for three years, and then you kind of built this next business that you had. And I believe that everybody should be lifelong learners like yourself and take after you. One of the ways to do that is having conversations with people like you. But another way is I, I find it in reading and reading great books from great minds. And I'm curious, from your standpoint, on your bookshelf or in your duffel bag or your book bag, What's one of those books that you think that everybody should go out and read to become smarter and better overall? The Prosperity Bible. <clears throat> if you buy it in hardback, I mean, it's, you know, two inches thick. But it's a, it's a compilation of 19 books written between 1750 and 1950 that focus on the, really the greatest writings of wealth and, and success. It includes Think and Grow Rich. It includes The Way to Wealth by Benjamin Franklin, Acres of Diamonds, The Science of Money Getting, I think is, is the name of one of the other books. But these books are fascinating, written over 100 years ago. And it's, it's like reading you know, Law of Attraction and you know, what you think is what you get, manifestation and things like that, because well, that's the way life is. So I think it's probably one of the, one of the ways to ground us into the fundamental laws of prosperity. You know, It's not you know, a P-E ratio of a stock. It's the mindset of I'm a, I'm a wealthy person. I provide a lot of value. And of course, the world, you know, universe serves that up over time. So that's why I would consider one of the, one of the top reads that any advisor should be, should be looking at. I love that. I love that. And then finally, I get this from Barron's because I learned it at their conference. What's one piece of actual advice that you think people should take away from this conversation that they can go and implement tomorrow or the next day to make themselves and their firm and their clients better off? Absolute clarity on what financial prosperity means to you. Where are you going with your life and business? When is it going to happen so that you can really manifest all the things that you really want to do with your time on earth? Gosh. And you got to start with yourself before you can help anybody else, right? That's the whole point of it. You've got to start with yourself before you can help anybody else. Christopher Music, this has been an absolute pleasure. It's so, it is drastically intriguing to me. And it's just amazing. It's just a different perspective that I haven't heard. And that's what makes this podcast so amazing. I get to talk to great people like yourself. So I'm sure a lot of people on this podcast want to continue to follow you and stay in touch. Is there, how's the best way people can stay in touch with you? maybe potentially talk to you, whatever it may be, or help use your consulting services in the future? Well, I'm, I'm rebuilding a website. I'm, I'm in the inflection point of rebuilding everything on a new brand. <clears throat> you can always find me on LinkedIn, the URL P Christopher Music. 
pchristianmusic.com is where my website is. Also call me on my cell phone, 727-278-6757. Drop me a text. Be happy to talk to you. I love that. Christopher Music, thanks so much for taking your time out of your day to spend here on Bridging the Gap. It's so much appreciated, and thanks for all your insight. Matt, thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 